Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. If you walk with Christ in this life, if you make determinations, decisions, choices that are based on His Word, His will, His desire for your life, then that will not always be easy. Life, it throws some pretty rough stuff at us at times, doesn't it? But can you imagine what it would be like to be taken captive, carried off to live in a foreign country, forced to serve a tyrant ruler and worship other gods? In the face of all that, would your faith hold up? Would you be able to hold on to the promises of God? But this unbreakable promise from God that for those who do, there is a payday. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Today we kick off a brand new series that we're pretty excited about. It's entitled, Daniel, Unshakable Faith, Unbreakable Promise. The book of Daniel is a remarkable book. And as Pastor Clay is going to show us as we make our way through it, there's a lot to learn from this book that is both a study in personal faith and prophetic future. Maybe you feel about the same way Daniel must have felt at that moment. They chose to say no. We believe it will dishonor our God. Daniel and his friends faced some pretty big obstacles in life, but through it all, their faith was unshakable because it was built upon the unbreakable promises of God. We're glad you've joined us, and we hope you can join us each week as we make our way through this exciting book. And along the way, we pray we all learn how to face the obstacles we face in life with unshakable faith. Now here's Pastor Clay. Daniel. Want to talk something about Daniel? Who's excited? <laughs> I paid each one of them to do that. No, we're kicking off a new series uh, today uh, from the book of Daniel. Unshakable Faith, Unbreakable Promise. Kind of the subtitle for the book of Daniel. Daniel was a remarkable man. I mean, he, he really was. He's usually referred to uh, as a prophet. And in fact, uh, the book of Daniel in our English Bible is, is placed in the section that is referred to as the major prophets. But Daniel wasn't a prophet in the, in the classic sense of the Old Testament term. In the Old Testament, a prophet was somebody that stood before the people and prophesied or proclaimed or preached a message from God. And that message was almost always the same. No matter which prophet it was, the message was almost always the same. And the message from the prophet almost always was, nation of Israel, people of Israel, people of God, turn back, turn around, repent. You're going in the wrong direction. You're moving in a direction that is not going to be good for you ultimately. You need to turn around. That was usually the message of the prophet. It was coupled with a second part. The first part, turn around, repent. The second part, if you don't, because God loves you. Listen to me. Because God loves you, he's going to send correction into your lives in the form of judgment. If you don't come back, because I love you and because you're my children, I'm going to send a nation upon you. That was the message of the majority of Old Testament prophets. Daniel doesn't do that. As a matter of fact, by the time Daniel comes along, judgment has already come on the nation of Israel. Now, Daniel is a prophet in the sense that he does prophesy through a series of dreams and visions that he receives from God. He, 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 
he writes those down, he tells us about the future and what God is going to do. The book of Daniel is basically divided into two parts. You, you, you can think of it in this way. It basically divides into two parts. Chapters 1 through 6 tell the story of Daniel and his friends and their unshakable faith. Now, there are some other things in there, and there's some dreams that other people have that Daniel interprets, and, and we'll see all those. But, but basically, chapters 1 through 6 are about Daniel and his friends and their unshakable faith in God. Chapters 7 through 12 record the visions that God gave to Daniel concerning future events, future kingdoms, and ultimately God's future eternal kingdom. It is God's unbreakable promise. 1 through 6, unshakable faith. 7 through 12, unbreakable promise. There's intermingling, you'll see run over in both of those, but those two concepts, those two ideas come through in the book of Daniel. Uh, it might help. Um, now, if you, some of you are like, no, it really won't help, but it might help some of you if I give you a little background. I was born in Hollywood, no, no, not, not me. Um, Hollywood, Florida, by the way. Somebody said one time, uh, they asked me where I was from. I said, Hollywood. And they're like, you're, you're from Hollywood? From Hollywood? The nation of Israel had turned their backs on God. Basically, that's what they had done. They had turned their backs on God. Now, listen to me. They still had a form of godliness. The temple was still there. They were still uh, doing their sacrifices. But it was a sham. They basically had become posers. They were religious posers. They, they had this idea that, that if they just uh, looked the part, went through the motions, that basically, to put it in our vernacular, they could live any way they wanted Monday through Saturday as long as they showed up at church. And, and, and they were okay with that, and God was going to be okay with that, and God wasn't okay with that. I'll talk about this more in a second. But being the loving God that he is, God sent those prophets I talked about a moment ago. God sent prophet after prophet after prophet warning the people, turn around, come back. Don't go in the direction that you're going. Listen to me. You talk about being long-suffering, being patient. A hundred years before Jerusalem fell, before we get to the, what we're moving into in Daniel, a hundred years before Jerusalem fell, the prophet Isaiah was warning the people that if they didn't come back to God, that God was going to send a people from another, from a distant land, God was going to send them to come and conquer them, to break them, to bring them to the end of themselves, which is what God is always trying to do, by the way. The prophet Micah, the prophet Habakkuk, the prophet uh, prophet Jeremiah, all of them prophesied that same message, and the people just ignored it. They didn't heed it. And so, the Babylonians came. They're also known as the Chaldeans. The terms are essentially uh, interchangeable. They had become a very uh, powerful, a very great empire in that part of the world. They were an advanced civilization, but they could also be brutal. And destructive. As a matter of fact, the prophet Habakkuk struggled with this. He writes about it in his book. He said he just couldn't understand how could God let these 
these heathen people, how could God use these heathen people to bring judgment on his own people? It's a good question, isn't it? I, I came across this as we, I like the way the Bible commentator Warren Wearsby answers that question. He, he, Wearsby says, God would rather have his people living in shameful captivity. Listen, God would rather have his people living in shameful captivity in a pagan land than living like pagans in the holy land and disgracing his name. That is an important concept for us to get our minds around this morning. Ladies and gentlemen, God does have expectations on our lives as a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're here and you have committed your life to Jesus Christ, that means, in theological terms, you have been adopted into the family of God. You've been pardoned from your sins. You've been, you've been considered and called and are a child of God. And just as you have expectations for your children, God has expectations for his. The people of Israel were ignoring it. Many people today ignore it. This is a concept that you and I have to get our minds around. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, as the people of Israel would have claimed to be children of God, you, if you claim to be a child of God, because that's what that means. If you've given your life to Christ, it means you've been adopted into the family, you're a child of God. If you claim that, then you have to understand that there should be a, that should affect every area of our lives. It should affect the kind of people that we are. It should, it should affect the kind of husbands and wives that we are. It should affect the kind of parents or children that we are. It should affect the kind of employee or employer that we are. It should affect the kind of student that we are. It should affect the kind of neighbor that we are. All right, all right, all right, all right. I get it. I get it. Do you? Do you really get it? Are your actions and attitudes and life choices determined by what God says? Do you wake up each morning anxious to spend time with him, excited about sharing his love with others? Do you look for opportunities to, to demonstrate the love of Christ in tangible way to people's lives? Listen, whew, I know I'm, I'm like on you this morning, and that's not, I don't do that a lot. It's not, I know I'm on you this morning. And I know we haven't even gotten to the book of Daniel yet, and we will, I promise. But, but folks, this is important. This is really important because this is what got the nation of Israel in trouble, and this is still what gets people in trouble today that claim allegiance to Jesus Christ. This idea that, it, oh, it, you know, oh, yeah, I've I, been there, done that. I, yeah, I accepted Jesus. He's, he's, he's a get-out-of-hell-free card. Got him in my back pocket. That, that's... In a nutshell, what the nation of Israel was doing with this relationship with God. Maybe you've read these words, book of James, James chapter 1, verse 22. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. It is this idea that God has expectations on my life. I need to know what those expectations are, and I need to make choices in my life that are based on what God wants, not what I want, not what might be easier, not what other people might think is correct, but what does God in his word say? All right then. So Daniel is a young Jewish man. Well, let's just read it. Beginning in Daniel chapter 1, we're going to just read through verse 8 this morning, just getting into the first part of the chapter. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. You guys all right? I didn't blow you away too bad with that, did I? Okay, 
In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now, among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel, he assigned the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. So let me give you just kind of one idea, and then we're going to take a little bit off. Uh, we're going to come off of that for just a minute. But let me give you just one idea this morning uh, to think about from Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. And it is this. There has to be a determination for God. In our lives, there has to be a determination for God. But Daniel made up his mind. Now, when I was first working on this, I'll tell you, I, I first had, there has to be a decision for God. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know what? A decision will get me started, but a determination will get me to the finish line. A decision may be good, but a decision's not good enough. A determination is different. A determination is making up my mind about something. Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself and thereby, as far as Daniel was concerned, dishonor his God by by partaking of the food that the king offered to him. The Jews had certain dietary laws that restricted certain kinds of meat that they could eat. There was also the possibility that some of the food that was served and and some of the uh, wine that was served had been first sacrificed or offered up to one of the Chaldean gods. And so Daniel felt in his heart that if he partook of those things, that it would be dishonoring to God. And so he determined in his heart that he was not going to do this. He made a determination. He and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah made a determination that they would not partake. And this is the king's meat, okay? This is the good stuff as far as the Chaldeans were concerned. This was the best that they had. This was the same food, basically, that the king would be eating for crying out loud. What an insult to the king if those men chose not to partake 
of their food. But Daniel made a determination. That's just how it is. He's not going to do it. He made up his mind. The Chaldeans, as I said, could be a very brutal people, even though they're a very advanced people. They come in there, and it was their practice to take the best and the brightest of the countries that they conquered, generally the young people, because they would have the longest lives and could be of the most service to them. But the, as the text said there, the sharpest, the brightest, the, the most willing to, to or, or most able to receive and learn and all that kind of stuff, they would, they would take them from the countries where they were. God, remember, God had been saying, guys, guys, listen to me. You don't want to go down this road. This is only going to be trouble for you. Would you come back to me? If you don't, I love you too much to leave you in your sin. I'm going to have to send a people after you. The people ignored it. The Chaldeans came. And as I said, it was their practice to carry off the best and the brightest. Now, uh, by the way, this had kind of a, a twofold purpose for the Babylonians. Number one, it meant that those people that they carried off, the best and the brightest, the sharpest, the best looking, uh, that they would, would be a contribution to their culture, to the Babylonian culture. They would, they would serve the king and it would be a profit to him and to the Babylonian people in, in general, I'm sure. It also had the, the double benefit of taking those people out of their homeland so that there would be a leadership void in that country because the best and the brightest had been taken out. And so that country would be less likely to rise up and try and overthrow the Babylonian domination. Hey, and listen, don't think that giving them new names was just some academic exercise, something they were supposed to do. By giving them new names, Chaldean names, Babylonian names, the Babylonians were saying to Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, what they're saying to them was, forget about your, forget about your past life, forget about your homeland, forget about your, 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 your God. We rule you now. Our gods rule you now. But Daniel made up his mind. He made a determination. When you make a determination, though, there can sometimes be obstacles to making that determination. I want to give you one of those this morning. If you determine that you're going to take a stand with God, what you may find is this. You may be the only one making it. Can anybody relate to that? You may be the only one making that determination in your circle of friends or in your school or at your workplace or if you make a determination for God, you need to understand that you may be the only one making it. It can be lonely (laughs) trying to follow God in this world. After all, everybody else is eating the meat. Everybody else is drinking the wine. I don't know. The text doesn't tell us specifically. We get some hints of some things later on. But the text doesn't tell us specifically how many of the best and the brightest were carried off into captivity. But almost certainly it was more than just Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Where are they? Especially those that came out of Israel. They, they, they supposedly served the same God. They, they knew the same word. Where were they? It can be lonely. Sometimes you're the only one making a determination to stand. And that can be an obstacle to taking a stand for God. But Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, clearly Daniel was the leader in this. But those four men, out of probably hundreds, possibly even thousands, those four men 
were the only ones that stood for God when it counted. And that's just part of being a follower of Jesus sometimes in this world. I, I, won't, I won't sugarcoat it. I won't try and, you know, gloss it over. Sometimes you just have to stand alone. I, uh, <clears throat> I know I've uh, told before about uh, a young man when I was a young man uh, named Danny Enfinger who uh, was a follower of Christ at a time when I was not a follower of Christ. I was uh, not a follower of Christ. And um, a bunch of us guys were out one day. <clears throat> we all, we all uh, had motorcycles, had uh, dirt bikes, uh, motocross bikes, and we liked riding motocross. And we were out somewhere riding motocross and um, partying, basically, you can think of. We, uh, we, we, okay, we had a pickup truck, all right? All right, I'm sorry. And my brother listens to our podcast now, and so he's threatening me with what all he's going to tell my mom. But we had a pickup truck. The entire back of the pickup truck bed was filled with ice and beer. The whole thing. It wasn't hard to do. Uh, We went and got ice at Lightsey's Fish Camp. Uh, It was free. Uh, It smelled like fish a little bit, but that was all right. Um, In our condition, it didn't matter much. Anyway, uh, and and that's what we did. We rode bikes and, and drank. Uh, Danny came out there one time, and he had a bike, and he rode with us, and at one point we stopped and, um, you know, shooting the bull and all that kind of stuff, and, and you know, I, somebody noticed that I guess Danny wasn't drinking or whatever, he just wasn't participating in the drunk, drunk fest, it's so intelligent anyway, right, uh, get drunk and then get on high, highly powerful two-wheeled, anyway. The grace of God is good. Can I say that to y'all? The grace of God is good. <clears throat> um, and so somebody began to say something to Danny about, you know, what's wrong with you? What's and, uh, you know, I knew Danny was a Christian. And, um, and so they start giving him a hard time. And I can remember, uh, even though I wasn't a follower of Christ, I can remember it's like, man, they're just being merciless on this guy. And it's just like, oh, goody two-shoes. Oh, yeah, he's a, and I remember they called him Jesus Jesus freak or Jesus man or something, they called him like that. Oh, you're too good to drink with us. Oh, you're too... What? And, uh, and I don't remember exactly what Danny said, but I'm kind of paraphrasing. Um, but he said, guys, listen, I, I came out here today because I just, I just want to hang out with you. I enjoy riding my motorcycle. And yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've given my life to him. And I just want you to know he loves you. God would desire to have a relationship with you if you would turn your life over to him. You're lonely sometimes when you make a determination for God. Because I can assure you nobody else in that bunch was standing up for Jesus at that moment. Or for Danny, for that matter. I don't always get it right, that's for sure. But one time when I was, uh, when we lived in Tennessee, I was, uh, some of you don't know, I was a post, used to be in the postal service. And I worked for, for the post office and um, I had applied for a postmastership in, uh, in Hurricane Mills, Tennessee. Who knows where that is? Hurricane Mills, Tennessee. All right, Loretta Lynn. Loretta Lynn owns the entire town. She she does. She owned the post office here. Um, I, I applied for a postmastership in 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 Hurricane Mills, Tennessee, and I made it into the final cut or whatever, and got called for an interview in Nashville. You know, going to the big big city, uh, going to Nashville to meet the head honcho, the postmaster general, sort of, so to speak, of uh, that region. <clears throat> and uh, and I, I don't I can't tell you why. I just I, I just felt that I needed to do this. Maybe like Daniel, I just felt, I just, I need to stand up for God in this particular case. So, 
I go in for the interview, and uh, if you've ever been in any guys' interviews, you know what they are. They're just basically you bragging on yourself and telling you why you're the best candidate and why you need to, why they would be idiots if they didn't hire you for that, for that job. And uh, so, the, you know, he, the guy starts with that, you know, well, tell me a little about yourself. And I know what he's expecting. He goes, well, you know, I, I've, I've got X number of years experience, and I've done this, and I've worked on this detail, and I, you know, they expect you to, I mean, that's what, what you do. And uh, for whatever reason, I said, uh, uh, well, sir, I said, I don't, I don't know whether you care about this or not. I said, but uh, I, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing I told him when he said, tell me about yourself. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And I said, I don't remember exactly, but something like this. I said, uh, and I don't think that's a, a negative for you. I think that's a positive for you. Because God's word tells me that in everything I do, I'm as to do it unto the Lord. God's word tells me that I work for him and not for men. And so I will work harder for you than probably anybody else. And God's word tells me that that God has an expectation that I would be honest with my life, that I'd be truthful and honest. And so you'll never have to worry about me doctoring the books or, or taking money under the table or, or whatever else. I'll be truthful and honest. And God's word tells me that I'm to treat other people the way I would want them to treat me. And so I will always do my best to be kind to people and, and work harder for them than, than like as if they were the only person that was. Whatever all else I, I said... Uh, clearly, it was not uh, the usual uh, interview process that he uh, that he got because after when we finished it, it's just kind of like crickets, you know, it's quiet, silent. And he's like, "Okay, then, have a good day." <laughs> and listen, I I want you to understand, it's not like I had some uh, epiphany from God that if I did this, not only was I going to get to be postmaster. of of Hurricane Mills, Tennessee, woo, not only was I going to be postmaster there, I was going to be postmaster of the entire United States if I would stand up for God right then. I didn't, I didn't get any kind of anything like that. So I, I understand how the world operates, how things work. So I understand going in there, from a worldly perspective, I was essentially committing suicide, business, future, climbing the corporate ladder, suicide. But I just had this sense that this was a time when I needed to stand up for God. But it's lonely sometimes. I don't know the other people that were up for an interview. I knew some of them, but I don't know all of them that were up for the interview. But I, I'm pretty sure that he probably didn't get that same thing in, in their interview. I don't know. Now, long story short, I, I, I did get the postmaster. It was, but it's, it's lonely sometimes. You've got to make a determination. Listen, that, that's how it is. Like I said, I can't sugarcoat it. If you walk with Christ in this life, if you, if you make determinations, decisions, choices, that are based on his word, his will, his desire for your life, then that will not always be easy. But here's one of those promises, this unbreakable promise from God, that for those who do, there is a payday coming someday, an eternal payday coming. So that even in this life, if there's suffering or, there's, or if there's loss or if there's you know, uncomfort or if there's whatever it is, because I've chosen, I've determined, I've made up my mind to stand with God. Maybe you've seen these verses before, Joshua chapter 24. But if you don't want to serve the Lord, you must choose for yourself. Notice this idea, this biblical idea of making a choice. You must choose for yourself today whom you'll serve. You may serve the gods that your ancestors worshipped when they lived on the other side of the Euphrates River. Or you may serve the gods of the Amorites who lived in this land. As for me and my family. 
we will serve the Lord. Joshua made up his mind. He determined that's what he's going to do. Jesus talks about uh, how, how lonely it can be, how, how you just have to understand in this world you're going to be a minority if you make the decision, the determination to stand up for God. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. Watch this. And there are many who enter through it. Right? Do you work with them? Do you go to school with them? Do you buy groceries with them? Many. Jesus says, go that way. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few that find it. There has to be a determination. Maybe where you are at school, in your workplace, uh, in your family, in your neighborhood, in whatever circumstance you find it, maybe you feel about the same way Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah must have felt at that moment. When everybody else is, is... gorging themselves on the, on the best that the king had to offer. And they chose to say, no, we will not do this. We believe it will dishonor our God. We will determine to stand for God. Maybe you feel that way where you work or where you go to school or whatever. Like you're, you're about outnumbered about the same as, as they were. I'll say it one more time. There's no way around it. Can't sugarcoat it. Can't gloss over it. Following Christ in this life, you will always be a minority. But again, God's unbreakable promise. He'll be with you. He has plans and a future for you that ultimately culminate. And that's what we're going to see in this book of Daniel. That ultimately culminate in God's kingdom being established. And God's people ruling and reigning with him for all of eternity. Daniel uh, is, is, is a lot. I'll be honest with you. Some of this study as we go further into it is going to be hard. Some of it is going to be difficult to understand. What I hope that we see, one of the central themes throughout this process, throughout this book, is that men, mankind, come and go. Leaders are here today and gone tomorrow. Kingdoms rise and fall. But through it all, God's sovereign hand is moving His creation toward its eternal destiny. Through it all, through all the kingdoms that will rise and fall, and we'll see that in the book of Daniel. That he's moving us in this destiny towards his kingdom of peace and prosperity. A real place that he will establish on this earth for those who have determined in their heart and their life. They're going to stand with him. Ladies and gentlemen, history is really his story. This is really about God. 2013. Brand new year, a lot in front of us. Maybe you've made a determination for God in the past. But the, the pressures and the circumstances of life have just been kind of overwhelming. And, and, and somehow that determination kind of just got lost in, in all of it. And you just kind of melded into all of it. Maybe you made a determination for God in the past and it was just too blooming hard. It was just harder than you thought it would be. And, and, and so you just said, I, I, I just can't do this. Maybe you've never made a determination at all. Maybe you're here today and you've never come to the place where you'd say, yes, I do believe that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh and that he did come and die for my sins, that I might have a relationship with him. Maybe you've never made that determination. What better time than today, start of a brand new year, to begin to walk with God and say, I am determined to be a person 
that chooses God, to choose to honor God, to choose to walk with God. No matter what anybody else does, no matter what other choices may be available, no matter what anybody else thinks is best, but Daniel made up his mind. A determination for God. When faced with some pretty tough choices, Daniel and his young friends made a determination to stand for God. As Pastor Clay reminded us today, standing for God can sometimes be a lonely place because most people aren't willing to take a stand. What about you? Have you made a determination for God? We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.